Hello, welcome to the podcast, the National Institute for Health Research. I'm Tara Lamont. I'm a scientific advisor to the Health Services and Social Care Delivery Research Programme. Um, and today I'm joined by Nick Watts. Um, Dr. Nick Watts is the Chief Sustainability Officer of the NHS. He's a public health doctor leading the, the team responsible for greening the NHS. Um, and Professor Mahmoud Bhutta, who's a consultant ENT surgeon at Brighton, who's led work locally and nationally on um, environmental and, and uh sustainable practices, including ethical supply chains. So we're going to have a conversation about what greening the NHS and social care means and what the research agenda might be. But I'm just going to start off. This this podcast is aiming to stimulate interest among researchers um, for a call that's now open through the NIHR, um, for new research on um, evaluating um, uh, new ways of working across the NHS and social care um, to deliver um, carbon reductions. So um, I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes before we get into the meat of the of the conversation um, with Nick and Mahmoud, just saying a little bit about the programme and what we want to fund. It's a great opportunity for researchers um, who want to um, uh, strengthen the evidence based on on what works for organisations um, in greening health and social care. The Health Services um, and Social Care Delivery Research Programme, bit of a mouthful, but the HSDR programme that I support, it has a budget of uh, over £20 million a year and we fund high quality research on the um, organisation and, and quality of, of services. And we've supported in the past ambitious studies on important um, issues um, like do centralising stroke services save lives or are hospice at home services cost effective? Um, and this is a new call for us on um, sustainable healthcare. Um, and together with other programs of the NIHR, we're really wanting to fund some high quality research which will make a difference. In the past, I guess we've funded some studies that might touch on this. So, for instance, in our program, we've funded an evaluation of new build hospitals looking at various dimensions, um, infection control, as well as energy use, um, staff satisfaction and so on. But there's a lot more that could be um, funded um, across different settings in health and, and social care and looking not just at the um, new uh, interventions for uh, better ways of um, uh, delivering health care, but also redesigning clinical and care pathways to be more efficient um, from renal to, to cancer services and how to stimulate organisational change. So um, with, with no further ado, I'd really like to hear more from, from Nick. And, uh, if I start with you, Nick, and from your overview position, what are the, the biggest challenges facing the NHS to reach carbon zero? It's a good question. And listen, thank you so much for having me 
uh, here, Tara. Thank you, NIHR. This is um, energizing. It's exciting to be here talking about the future of healthcare, right? Not something that is just tinkering around the edges, but how we are going to redesign and reimagine the NHS. Um, nothing gets me more excited than this. Um, let me start by uh, not answering your question. Surprise, surprise. Let me tell you what is not a challenge. What is not a challenge is ambition. When you go out to all 1.4 million healthcare professionals across the NHS and you say, hey, what do you want to see more of? They shout back at you. I want to work for an organization. I want to drive change in an organization that lives up to my values. I want to tackle climate change. Nine out of 10 of them. The next thing that is not a challenge is that, believe it or not, flows the whole way through the NHS from an individual doctor, nurse, pharmacist, patient uh, down at the coalface, the whole way through. Every single person, everywhere I go, people are passionate, pulling you into doors, saying, how can we go further? How can we go faster? The other thing that is not an issue, and this will surprise people, capital. Access to capital is not as much of a barrier as I think people think it is. Number one, you don't need quite that much to respond to most of what the NHS needs to do on climate change. Number two, God, it's efficient. It pays back in three, three and a half years, most of the capital investments we might want to put in place. To the extent that we've been doing this since 2008, this program already has paid for itself four times over. But maybe then to answer your question, what are the major challenges? Well, uh, if ambition and capital and passion isn't a challenge, one of the things that we run into is, um, is pace. Say it again, say it as often as you can. The climate crisis is a health crisis. It's a health emergency. And so you have to move quickly and you will almost never be moving quickly enough. The second you go, God, that sprint for the last year was really tough. And you look back and go, did I go fast enough? The answer is probably no, not quite. You could have gone a little faster. And that is a challenge that we have to come to grips with. It means that we have to change the way that we are running the interventions. We have to be more innovative. We have to be open to getting things a little bit wrong every now and then. We have to be trying lots of different things. I, I think the other challenge uh, we face is the NHS is big. The same strength, nine out of 10 of 1.4 million staff. That also means that there are 1.4 million staff there and no one person anywhere in London's Kipton House, anywhere in the chief executive's office of a hospital can transform the National Health Service to a net zero healthcare system. It has to be done with 1.4 million low carbon healthcare decisions every single day of every single week, month and year. And that is tough, right? The behavioral change aspects of that, mobilizing that kind of workforce is a, it's just a tough thing to do at pace. The final thing, if I can have uh, one more second, and I'm looking at your face and you look mm. like you're okay with me continuing to talk. Uh, the final thing that I, I think we struggle with, uh, not struggle with, the final thing we need more of is good ideas, great ideas, things that we can try out. We have an excellent, uh, I think, I would say, we have a really good long-term ambition, the net zero uh, ambitions for the NHS, world-beating right? Uh, no other healthcare system trying to move quite as fast, quite as ambitiously as the NHS is. We also, I think have done a pretty good job, if you look backwards, of reducing our emissions in year. We've done a good job of putting together intervention one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The gap is going to come at some point where you just need some good new ideas. You need other things you can try. Once you've tackled your big low-hanging fruit buckets of interventions, um, you need people thinking about, A, what can I personally do tomorrow morning? And B, what are the things that I need to do today 
so that in 2025, I can tackle the next big challenge. Um, and it's that last part, which is why the NIHR uh, here, why this call is so exciting, so essential. That's fantastic. And I mean, Mahmoud, what's your what's your perspective um, where you work in terms of the challenges and, and what, what the service is doing to meet those? Well, so I work uh, both at uh, the medical school, um, Brighton and Sussex Medical School, doing academic work, looking at uh, how we can make healthcare greener. And I also work for the hospital at University Hospital Sussex. So in terms of challenges and what we are doing to uh, meet those challenges, I guess uh, perhaps most important for me to speak about from the clinical interface and to start by saying there is, of course, a lot of enthusiasm for this topic. So we know that a lot of people in the NHS really, really do want to take on the green agenda, but not only in their personal lives, but also at work. So that's a good starting point. So what are the barriers? I think some of the barriers, of course, are time. Um, clinical people are very, very busy um, and we're facing a, a lot of pressures, obviously, all the time. So what we need really is to make some time for people um, to, to be able to work on these issues. And, and my trust, I'm glad to say there's been some clinical time funded for individuals to step aside and um, have protected time to think about these things and rework clinical pathways and clinical streams. And then the other thing, I suppose, about enabling change, although there's enthusiasm, people have to feel emboldened to make those changes and that requires both top-down and bottom-up leadership so top-down meaning that the senior board of an organization must put their uh, their their strength behind the idea of a green agenda for the organization and bottom-up leadership meaning that we need individuals at the coalface really to be making the changes that are really going to bring this agenda to the fore. Thanks really helpful I wondered I wondered Nick if you had any other thoughts on well, a couple of things that Mahmoud was saying, one one about the kind of indirect influence on the kind of wider supply chain. Um, and then I think what you were talking about, Mahmoud, was almost, it's almost that kind of lean healthcare, isn't it? Thinking about um, uh, redesigning services to um, reduce the burden, which, which, uh, which will probably also, um, you know, be increasing uh, the 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 ease for patients in reducing the the need, perhaps, for so many hospital outpatient visits or whatever it is. Nick, did you have any comments on that? Uh, to take them in in reverse, hey, uh, yeah, low carbon medicine is pretty much most of the time just good common sense medicine, good common sense public health interventions, right? Um, which is why when we say things like it could pay for itself, it is good for public health. It's true because when you go and look at all the things that the Greener NHS team, that healthcare professionals around the world are trying to do to decarbonize healthcare, most health professionals will go, oh, well, that's the kind of stuff that I want to do as well. That's aligned with what I learned in, you know, I don't know, foundations of clinical practice 101 in medical school. That is just good common sense uh, medicine. Um we need to remind ourselves of that as often as we can. Yes, there are always going to be some tweaks where you need to do something in a slightly lower carbon way. You can almost always find a way uh, to do that in a way that improves access for patients, improves care. Um, on the broader point, entirely right. It is not possible, right? And uh, I'm not trying to hide anything here. 
uh, I say this as often as I can, the NHS, we've made a net zero commitment for ourselves. We've also been clear that we can't do it alone. If the NHS is the only healthcare system in the world attempting to do this, it won't be possible. It is only possible if healthcare systems across the world are moving with us at the same pace, God, I hope faster. And it is only possible if our supply chain is doing that as well, only possible, right? And so to that end, the question I think starts to become, well, okay, what can the NHS reasonably do to accelerate that, to ensure people are moving at a pace that's appropriate? Number one, set a target. Set a very, very clear target. Say it as often as you can. Say it as publicly as you can. Within the decade, the NHS will no longer purchase from anyone that does not meet or exceed our commitments on net zero. Number two, uh, start to engage. Start to talk to suppliers. Understand what the challenges might be behind that target. There are genuine innovation challenges. It's genuinely difficult to maintain a cold chain in a low-carbon way. Doesn't mean that Nova Nordisk isn't interested in doing that. They supply, I think, about 50% of the world's insulin. They're absolutely committed, but they need support and we need to work together as we do some of that. Number three, make sure that you're transparent about this. Make sure that you are counting carbon in a way that is consistent. Make sure that you are holding people to account for the way that you are counting carbon, that you're doing it in an expansive way, taking account of their global supply chain. And then finally, have some steps, right? I said within the decade. Within the decade is a decade away. Easy to say. What is harder to say is in a month or two, the NHS will introduce a new 10% weighting for every single tender for net zero and social care, every single tender that ENI does. 18 months from now, unless you have a publicly board approved net zero strategy, you won't be able to win a contract with the NHS uh, over 5 million pounds. 2027. And that's a little bit further away, but that's because this last target is really tough. Public, board approved, tackling your global supply chain scopes one, two, and three as a qualifying criteria for doing business with the NHS. You need to be aligned with the direction we're heading. I think those sorts of things are the kinds of things you could reasonably expect. There's always going to be more, um, but it is worth it is worth reiterating that the NHS can't get to net zero without everyone else around us. That's really helpful, and 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 just reinforcing to the leverage that the NHS has um, as the um, you know consumer and and procurer of of services and goods, and also as an employer. Um, can I can I Tara? I wanted I, sorry just to <laughs> rudely cut in. I'm so sorry. Yes, as a procurer. Yes, as a, an employer. Um, my accent reveals I'm Australian. Um, I can tell you that mm. uh, the Australian healthcare system looks to the NHS for questions about how a good healthcare system should run. It's not just about the dollars, it's not just about the pounds, and it's not just about uh, our employment, our size. It is also that we are looked to the world over, for an example, of how to run a high quality healthcare system. And if we can start to say, listen, a high quality healthcare system is a low carbon healthcare system, everyone else is gonna follow, mm. sorry. Mm. No, 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 it's great to hear that. Um that that ambition to be to be a well and the reality of being a, a world leader in that sense i wondered mahmoud um you know because obviously we're, we're thinking about the research that we want to fund what you know what what are the kind of big areas of uncertainty where, where would you where would you really like to see some good evidence that would help you in some of the decisions that that you could make to um to green your service well, uh, in terms of big areas of uncertainty, well, I guess perhaps here I can put on my academic hat 
and start to think uh, about some of the broader questions that I think remain unanswered. So first of all, perhaps um, it's about things like how do we reimagine care? So things like remote consultation, digitization of health, we've seen all of these technologies coming through and, and really they've got to be part of the future. I know that a lot of clinical staff, doctors are, are a bit tired of things like remote consultation, patients too. So rather than having a blanket no to this, of course, we need to understand uh, where this is best utilised, what sort of conditions and what sort of scenarios. And more importantly, we don't need short-term outcomes. We need to understand what this means to the long-term care of the patient both in terms of patient satisfaction but in terms of their care pathway we don't need patients circling back um, because they haven't received definitive care but look if we look at the wheel that we know the the greener nhs has produced um you know looking at where carbon footprint is there's other things of course there's there's the huge amount of carbon that comes from our, our, our supplies, particularly things like pharmaceuticals. So we need to look at where we can deprescribe. What areas are there where we're overprescribing or where there are alternatives to prescribing pharmaceuticals, not just inhalers, which have high carbon, but everything across the board. In terms of the equipment we use, where is it that we could reduce and reuse and what are the drivers and barriers to that? Um, to, to, to change, such as economic barriers or, or concerns about patient safety or infection control that we can try to break down. But on top of all of this, I think another important uh, uh, aspect is behaviour change. So there can be barriers to behaviour change, you know, both from staff and from patients, for example, on the public health agenda to make their own health better. Uh, and that is because of entrenched behaviours and cultures. And what are the, the drivers of the behaviours and cultures and how do we create a new mindset for for the future. Nick, were there any other thoughts you had about big gaps in knowledge? should never admit this, right, but the gaps are everywhere, Tara. Um, you know, I said at the very, very start, we're not talking about tinkering around the edges of what a healthcare system is. We're talking about transforming it, redesigning it, doing it in a way that is better for health of patients, improves, tackles directly health inequalities, uh, improves environmental health, air pollution. So it is probably to be expected that we have a heck of a lot of questions um, because we're looking 10, 20 years forward. Um, so I see problems everywhere, I, or questions everywhere. Every single individual in the healthcare system, every single person has one bucket of carbon, handful of carbon that they personally are responsible for. They personally control in a way that no one else can really quite get to. And we have seen our best examples of transformational change come from when a nurse or a pharmacist or a GP figured out that they had that bucket of carbon, figured out what they could do about it, and then ran at it, really took it on. And in fact, most of the time, they blow the targets we set out of the water because they have such passion, you know, when you empower someone. Again, 9 out of 10 of our 1.4 million staff. And so I'd love to see more of that. We, we know a lot about what we might want to see for inhalers, for some of those volatile gases, for anesthetics. We know a bit about nephrology, you know, a little bit about mental health. But the world of medicine, the world of healthcare is broad. And I would love to see everyone, professions, different tribes of healthcare professionals, taking a look at the macro net zero strategy and thinking to themselves, what does this actually mean for me? tomorrow morning when I show up at work? What could I actually do tomorrow? What could I do next week? What could my ward do? What could my department do? What could my hospital do? Um, the more of that we have, uh, I think the closer we get to hitting net zero. I'm less worried 
about the big, big mega infrastructure changes, right? The big capital expenditure changes. The NHS last year alone invested 360 million pounds into healthcare decarbonization, into making our estate more efficient uh, in a way that was lower carbon. We can cover that stuff. It's the stuff that hits the interface of that clinical patients that are interaction where I think we need the most support. And I think for the program, the issue is 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 marrying those um, you know a hundred great ideas on the ground for um, reducing carbon with some high quality science, which ensures that there's some transferability. Um, and it's not just a, a kind of bunch of, um, you know, pre-post tests, which might not be um, generalizable to, to other contexts in the same way. So I think we're looking for some really exciting teams that can combine real knowledge of um, services and, and clinical areas and service user needs with um, some really uh, high quality mixed methods evaluations. I don't know, we're almost out of time, but I don't know, Nick and Mahmoud, if, if you have other thoughts just about any other um, sectors or, or examples from other countries that have inspired you that might be good places to look for um, new research ideas or, or to transfer from one setting to it to another is there anything that springs to mind why don't you go first Matt so in terms of what we can learn uh, from other areas of course there are other industries uh, working in sustainability and we should look to those uh, to, to understand how they build things like circular economies how they create behavior change within uh, organizations but I think within healthcare we can also look elsewhere I mean I'm particularly a particular example that comes to mind is um, some uh, ophthalmologists that I've been speaking to in India uh, working in the Aravind Eye Centre and, and there they have a highly efficient uh, system for delivering cataract surgery where uh, patients are operated in an open theatre almost like a factory line not that we want to um, dehumanise these patients but it's about creating efficiencies and all equipment is reused and what they found is that their carbon footprint for a cataract operation is one thirtieth of the same operation performed in the UK without any evidence from auditing two million operations of any worse outcomes. In fact, their outcomes were better. So this is actually the better method of healthcare on all the metrics that we can think of. And so perhaps these are the models that we should be looking to in the UK as well. Great. Those are great examples. Yes. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I mean, Nick, would you have any um, sort of closing thoughts for researchers who are thinking about whether or not to put in applications? Oh, yeah, one, do put an application in. Um, this is the challenge of a centre, a challenge of a lifetime. We need all the help we can get. Um, we have seen uh, original research in health and climate change increase 11 fold from 2007 to 2020. Now, that's a huge relative number. It's big because back in 2007, the absolute number was very, very small. Um, there is a growing community of researchers, of health professionals starting to engage in this space. My reflections on that community are that they are strongest, we are strongest, when we recognise that, hey, we've actually been a little bit slow to arrive at this discussion, arrive at this debate, arrive at this fight. 
go speak to the architects, go speak to the engineers, go speak to the environmentalists who can tell you about how to design healthcare systems all the way across the world in ways that are energy efficient and better for patients. Go speak to uh, go speak to people about ecosystem-based adaptation and how it can improve heat and flood defenses across the NHS. Um, go and speak to the Scandinavians about uh, all of the impressive work they do with um, low-carbon inhalers and low-carbon volatile gases. Go and speak to uh, the Germans about some really innovative battery technology they have, which we think is going to be incredibly powerful over here in the, in the United Kingdom for our ambulances. Um, everywhere you look, I think you will find collaborators to engage in this in this space. There are industry sectors, countries out there who, who are so much further ahead uh, that we can steal from and, you know, leapfrog with them. Um, I, I'm really excited about this call, Tara. You can hear it, I hope, in my voice. I'm so energised by the promise of support, by the promise of the cavalry of the world's best healthcare professionals, best academics are about to come and help drive and deliver a net zero NHS. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Nick Watts, Mahmoud Buta. And uh, sort of we leave with, as you say, Nick, a real sense of excitement about the importance and urgency of, of this research. And the programme really wants to fund a lot of ambitious, high quality studies. The call closes on the 24th of May. And do contact us if you have any queries um, about your applications on hsdrinfo at nihr.ac.uk um, and thank you for joining us today thank you thanks for everything you're doing